Karma. Never has it been so front and center in the public's minds. We begin tonight with news from Big Pharma. Americans spend more on prescription drugs. Integrated medicine means a device that can affect... Never has it been under so much pressure to deliver. Over 70 million adults in the United States... Ten founding companies have joined together... Johnson & Johnson. Pharmaceutical companies have found themselves under concerted cyber attacks. COVID vaccine. And yet COVID, its most recent high-profile challenge, has also shed light on an area of work that's changing the development, the manufacturing, and the delivery of life-saving products. Join me, Joe Robertson, as I explore connected medicine and its growing impact on big pharma, from the value it offers to the risks it creates. I call it a critical industry. Uh, because when we think of critical industries, we think of industries like power and utilities or, or I don't know, energy. But pharma is a critical industry because think of the data that they have. Okay? This is Jessica talking about the pharmaceutical industry. Yes. So my name is Jessica Richo and I'm a vertical marketing manager at Fortinet. She was telling me about how much big data pharma can create and how critical what it is. is. If this patient data... And I'm not talking about patient data loss. If this patient data is compromised, the integrity of the data, the impact, the consequences could, is the difference between life and death. And she's right. The pharmaceutical industry is all about preserving and enhancing the life of the patient, every patient. You know, I think, uh, you know, pharma and, and, and life sciences, healthcare overall, you know. The guy you hear right now, that's Troy. Yeah, so Troy Amit, um, I'm a field... Uh, Chief Information Security Officer over healthcare at Fortinet. Uh, whether you're in technology, environmental services, facilities, those types of things, you know, you can always point back to to helping a patient. As society has developed, technology has improved, and the public's expectations and understanding of their health has grown. The pharmaceutical industry has had to think differently. The patient has moved more and more into the center of all their thinking. People now have a more proactive view of their health. They're also living longer. This brings with it a host of new, complex challenges that require more niche treatments. And then, while people's expectations have grown, government's expectations of the pharma industry have also grown. And at the same time, huge leaps in technology have enabled pharma to streamline production with operational technology and to embrace connected medicine and the connected patient. But how does connected medicine help the patient? Connected medicine, it's, it's, it's a vast amount of data, you know, and- Let me introduce you to Chris, a big pharma veteran. Christopher Callahan, uh, Chief Information Security Officer of Weicker Companies. It's a wonderful symbiosis. Patients generate raw data, that data is cleaned, and then provides insights to better treat the patient. This development, and what has happened most recently, is a real revolution. We've seen with COVID where, you know, patients are at home with connected medicine like um, injectables and, and other types of therapies where, you know, added to telemedicine, it's come, you know, to provide that patient with uh, a care that, you know, if you thought about it 10 years ago, it wasn't even there. It's, it's amazing. This production of data has really developed, but by how much? Here's someone else you'll hear throughout this story. Meet Simon. My name's Simon Roach, um, and I'm currently uh, 
a consultant and I consult on information technology issues and, and solutions uh, in sort of pharmaceuticals and life sciences uh, industry in particular. Simon's worked with the likes of GSK. Um, it was vast. I mean, it was very noticeable, you know, in the last few years, the, the, the sort of exponential growth in the data generated and the, the data consumed by the organization. This move to create a data-heavy process is contributing to a reevaluation of pharma's business models, its ways of working, and a reevaluation of its values as an industry. Pharma is now connecting its stakeholders, integrating the patient deeply in the ecosystem to provide more customized and personalized treatments and medicine. Businesses within the pharmaceutical industry are moving to being holistic health service providers instead of just drug manufacturers, and connected medicine helps them do it. What's powering pharma today? Data. Data is how pharma builds its business, okay? Data coming from patients and the studies and their partners. So data is the thread that's driving everything. If data is powering this evolution in the pharmaceutical industry, you must need a lot of it, right? I mean, it's mind-blowing. Here's Chris again. Yeah, if you think about it too, like it's similar to, you know, information that Google might collect. You have connected medicine where those data points are, uh, are collected, you know, throughout the day. It could be based on, you know, every five minutes, every 15 minutes, whatever that timing is set, but it, it's huge. I think the last uh, article I read about that had, you know, phone apps, I think close to 60%. Um, dealing with uh, connected medicine, and, and that that information is shared live with that app. So that those data points uh, and the analysis and the, and the back end uh, is is constantly happening. So you have a lot of data. Where's the value? How do you translate raw data into information? In and of itself, it's useless. How data can bring value is if you mine this data, right? Drawing intelligence from this data. That's how you get value. That's how you get the insights. In order to mine data, you need technology. You need the artificial intelligence. You need the devices, the wearables. You need networks to communicate that data. You need data storage like the cloud, right? Or the blockchains. Machine so learning, AI, and data analytics. Drawing intelligence from the data providing the correlations and insights that inform everything from the development of drugs to offering actionable insights across the value chain. Not only does this data need to be mined and processed, but it also needs to be stored. The pharmaceutical industry has turned to cloud and even blockchain, as Jessica said, for ways of storing and exchanging it. All this offers agility, flexibility, and scalability. But, and this is where we could really use a klaxon or something, guys. Yeah, we'll work on that one. Uh, with this vast amount of data moving around, doesn't that come with risks? This technology is going to bring life to that data. But you're going to make all these investments into your technology, but you need to protect it, right? Because you're going to put all that money into innovation, but you need to protect that innovation and and I wonder if, you know, industries really understand that security is so tied to technology that it needs to be there from the beginning. And not only that, you can add that connected medicine is expanding what we in the security industry romantically call the attack surface. With each additional device, with every employee working from home, 
With every partnership being made and every new application, the pharmaceutical industry is increasing the risk. We'll come back to the risks a little later. What exactly does Connected Medicine allow pharmaceutical companies to do? It's incredible what they can do with medicine today, and all because it's connected, all because they have that access to that data. What they will be allowed to do because of all that data is, you know, provide personalized treatments uh, for patients. They'll be able to bring drugs and products to market faster and at cost. Okay, so what Connected Medicine is doing in pharma is allowing R&D to innovate in a much different way than they they are used to before, because now they have access to such large data sets. So it's just incredible at the rate that they can innovate. And where has Connected Medicine driven innovation that has had an impact? Clinical trials have changed quite a bit. Here's Troy again. Clinical trials used to be bringing in you know, patients into, you know, really an isolated environment. And there's still quite a bit of that that happens today. And it was really of high, high cost. You know, you think about bringing in clinical trial patients into one center, maybe 50, 200 of them, all the room and board, all the, you know, everything that goes with that. Well, that's now a lot of that has in some scenarios transitioned to more of a digital experience. So these patients are are managing the process on their own with digital uh, equipment that is, you know, taking their, you know, their, their their different vitals after they've taken a drug and and, you know, really uh, doing that from a digital perspective, feeding all that data back. You're able to gather a much wider swath of participants within a clinical trial. There's much more value in that than than some people think of more of the, the vacuum scenario that used to happen in the past. You know, um, that's been definitely the area that that the, pushing the envelope on that consumer experience to make that more efficient, um, driving down the cost, but then enhancing how much value we get out of the data. And it's not just in clinical trials where connected medicine is making an impact. It's also changing patients' lives through better health management, better treatment outcomes and improved quality of life all through the likes of wearables, AI, and simple apps that enable the patient to stick to a treatment. That impact isn't just being felt by patients, but by pharmaceutical companies too. It's delivering more revenue and greater margins. They're also getting to know the patients at unprecedented levels, delivering personalization and building trust. And because the industry is now being judged or evaluated on a value-based model, It's important to demonstrate the success of these personalized treatments through the data. But is data the be-all and end-all? Is data all that we need to make an impact? Are there any other factors we need to consider? I think the human element right now, a lot of people would say, is one of the, the most challenging areas for organizations to protect themselves against. Ah, the human factor. Just how bad could it get? The weakest link in the chain, the human, could make an error that costs their business. And not just financially, either. There's the reputational cost. The time cost, the data cost. There's trust, corrupted research, regulator inquest. With the risks being so large, you can understand how, across the value chain, eliminating that human error risk is so important. Automation, AI, and machine learning are technological investments that can pay huge dividends in terms of that reduction. Whether it's dealing with data inputs, identifying unusual activity, or predicting where a problem could be. 
And we can also minimize the human risk in other ways too. Educating our users, whether those are clinical trial users, whether those are staff, uh, but then really breaking down those workflows and trying to eliminate any areas that are of high risk. Humans, compared with new technologies, will always be viewed as a risk. But what about old technology? I'll let Troy explain. So when we talk about specifically the manufacturing side of it, uh, you know, the OT side of the pharmaceutical, um, you know, um, value chain or, you know, process uh, that has been really lagging. Right. So it has not been an area when we when we talk about risk within operational technology and manufacturing within, uh, you know, the pharmaceutical interesting, we're, we're actually most of the time talking about how far behind they are and how at risk those connected operational technology environments are because of how old they are, uh, old, you know, um, you know, more, more at risk from a from a vulnerability management perspective. Um, you know, so so to date, uh, we, we see the, you know, slow evolution, slow digitalization of, of those environments. But it it hasn't been like, you know, more on the consumer end with within the clinical trials. And the impact of problems here can be huge, too. Here's Chris. When you talk about those risks and, and what it means uh, to their value chain across the board and the impact of each level, um, you know, in, in, in the pharma industry, too, is if you, you really want to get to market sooner than later, you know, because that patent only lasts so long. So they know that that if there's a delay in that value chain at any at any step and stage, that the, the money is significantly impacted. So what are the best people doing to mitigate the risks to manufacturing? Technology, data, and security must be able to make an impact here. You know, the best people are, are measuring their risk, kind of like I said, like like they measure risk against anything else in the organization. I think that's been the big aha moment for organizations is is they've always been very scared about cyber because they've maybe seen a competitor of theirs have a, uh, a manufacturing uh, hiccup. Um, maybe weeks of, of downtime and they we don't want that to be us and you know so I think the way you get there is that you get you become very um, aware of what your risks are and then and then and then measuring them and investing in, in mitigating those risks. What kind of approach should pharmaceutical companies be taking? What you need is a consistent security policy throughout all your value chain. Jessica has been thinking about this a lot. The problem today is that a lot of companies, a lot of these pharma companies, are, th- are putting point solutions in, okay? The problem with point solutions is that they add complexity to the environment. So they should be thinking about it differently? There should be a holistic approach to how security is viewed. Security needs to be at the forefront of the conversations, okay? Uh, there needs to be a consistent security policy throughout, okay? There needs to be an integrated approach to security in that each solution that you plug into your system, okay, wherever it is in the value chain, is integrated with the other solutions that there's a sort of exchange of, of security information, okay? They don't talk. They don't, they don't exchange information. And they're very difficult to manage, okay? So when you have an approach to security that is 
integrated and, and can automate across the value chain, okay, you are basically gaining visibility at every point across that value chain. So you're ensuring that you can see an attack that's coming into a device or you can see an attack that's coming into a network that, and it's all coordinated, right? And that coordination, of course, requires threat intelligence. The ability to identify a threat, to contain it and prevent the attack. But some things AI couldn't predict. So within the pandemic, everything's been moving really fast, right? So when I think about coming from the provider space and and what was happening, you know, early on, we had to very quickly um, really protect against supply chain attacks from a provider perspective. You know, there was a lot of uh, shortages of PPE, whether that was, you know, things like gloves and masks and that type of thing, but then also a ventilator perspective. So, so as we look at the whole pandemic and how providers and pharmaceutical organizations have been affected. Some of it wasn't really, you know, easy to predict. And in these cases, partnerships with organizations who proactively engage in remedial action can be so important. Equally, a partner who is an expert in protecting investments like connected medicine, operational technology, and connected patient systems will understand the regulatory challenges around the data that connected technology produces. When I read about the financial services industry, I thought that was a complex regulatory landscape. And then when I looked at pharma, I'm like, these guys, you know, don't have it easy. You know, first of all, you've got in each country its own regulator. So you have have the FDA in, in the U.S., you have EMA in Europe. Then you also now are starting to see regulations for devices like EUMDR, the European Union regulation covering medical devices. But what about data flow? We know that data repositories are multiplying. They're global. They're cross-jurisdictional, okay? So there's a lot of regulation, right? That adds to the complexity. Then, of course, you have data protection laws, right? Like GDPR in Europe. So regulation today is too complex. And what I find is that the regulators, what they need to do is they really need to step up and work with farm and start providing more guidance. The thing is, the very same regulations that are there to protect the citizen, the patient, can create their own problems. A lot of the regulations that uh, pharmaceutical organizations deal with are less security and more about privacy, which is important as well. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the privacy changes that you're making to your environment are necessarily protecting it. So that's that's one of the, I think, misconceptions within both healthcare and pharma is that, gosh, we've got great privacy rules. I, I think from a from a regulatory perspective, we're still a long ways behind, um, you know, financial services, financial services. Yes has a privacy component, but is is much more of a security framework. Regulators of the pharmaceutical industry really need to catch up, not just with other industries, but with the increasing pace of technological advances. They're finding that the rate of change of the technology and the medical devices are is very difficult. They're, they're, they're having difficulty keeping up with this change and, and, and establishing a regulatory framework for overseeing all these technologies. If they're lagging behind in technologies, then they're also lagging behind the drug development process, which, for example, given the rush to meet the challenge of COVID, means that both regulatory bodies and pharmaceutical manufacturers have had to streamline their operations without compromising the process. That's the crux of the matter right there, isn't it? 
Regulators are there to help the public maintain trust in the pharmaceutical process. The big issue with pharma, historically, and even today, but they're changing that, is trust. And the reason that is, and, and even when we think of it uh, on the level of cybersecurity, how do you build trust? Well, to build trust, you need to be transparent, okay? There needs to be ethical use of the data and security. These, these three are all, for me, critical elements to building and maintaining trust, okay? And pharma really has to walk a very fine line between explaining what it's doing and protecting what it's doing. So trust has many aspects. There's public relations. They have to choose the appropriate businesses to work and collaborate with. They need to be sustainable. They need to ensure compliance to regulations. And the, there's a critical piece of it, and that's technology, right? Because the technology that you're using today supports all the other initiatives and all the other aspects that, that you're driving, okay? With trust being such an important element, how do you maintain it? Here's Chris. First, it, it's uh, you know establishing the trust internally, you know within the companies, establishing trust with your vendors and partners, and, and the methods that you do for that as well, uh, and then even more so as you look to get trust in your uh, patients, in your healthcare delivery. Um, and then even when you look at, um, you know, connected medicine, uh, medical devices, it's building trust into those devices as well, into those systems. And what supports that technology? What makes that technology work? Security. Security supports technology. And security, that's why I find security is often an overlooked aspect, but having good or the right security procedures in place, having that good cyber hygiene is the first step in establishing trust. Now that makes sense, but how do you do it? Especially in a production facility, or more likely in a number of facilities, a number that's likely growing as you scale up your operations. Here's what Troy thinks. We see a lot of security teams that really build out this best of breed approach that's not integrated, that's not scalable. From a security perspective, you know, being really efficient within your own security operations, right? So having a, a limited number of security tools and technology that are highly integrated, that's super important. And then having that consistently implemented across the organization is really important as well. If you've got a consistent, repeatable process in place, and if an organization needs to stand up 10 new facilities over the course of six months, if you've got something that's really repeatable, that ensures that you have the same visibility, security, and protection in place, the organization could stand up 100 in those next six months, and you as a security team can still be just as efficient as what you were. It's not only across facilities that pharmaceutical companies' teams will want to engage and communicate with each other. They'll also be looking to collaborate locally within the team and externally with partners and other partners and yet other partners. Here's Simon. It was vast. I mean, it was very noticeable, um, you know, in the last few years, the, the, the sort of exponential growth in the data generated and the, the data consumed um, by by the organization. Um, you know, and, and if you think about the way in which uh, pharmaceuticals companies are becoming more and more interested in genetics and the genetic sequencing of um, 
you know, various different organisms or, um, uh, you know, uh, human, etc. Um, that generates huge amounts of data. Um, and that has become, I mean, well, it's really since the year 2000, I suppose, but um, certainly over the last 10 years, um, you know, that particular data uh, interest has, has grown massively. Today, pharma is so connected that between the way they're collaborating, so between the collaborations and the partnerships that they're forming, uh, with all the data that they're receiving from the patients, from all the devices that patients are using, with work from home initiatives, the attack surface has exploded for pharma. You definitely don't want security being uh, a roadblock in what they're doing in collaboration. Uh, it has to be a good balance, but it, it really comes down to how you assess those risks, both from you know the methods that you communicate, but also what kind of it, what, how you're dealing with the data, how you're protecting that data. So you've got you know a great variety of different parties, all that have interest in sharing information between them. So that totality of that ecosystem is what I think of when I think of connected medicine. It's not just about the connection between the pharmaceutical research and manufacturing organisation and the patient and the physician. It's all of those different parties. But I think one thing that sort of illustrates the interconnectedness of those parties and the criticality that we as humans place on that is the whole coronavirus thing. If you, if you look at the collaboration that's gone on between government and industry um, and, and um, uh, you know, uh, sort of commercial enterprise and um, the volunteer sector, for example, in terms of creating those vaccines and then getting those vaccines deployed to humans, there's a mass collaboration that's gone on there. Um, and then all the monitoring and testing that's sort of associated with that. So you know where to, um, deploy, you know, your resources and vaccines, et cetera. So, I mean, I think actually, you know, the whole COVID-19 thing has illustrated very clearly the criticality of that collaboration between those different parties. And when you get it right, it's very successful. We've heard how connected medicine has impacted everything from clinical trials and the supply chain to establishing trust and enabling collaboration. But how do you keep that connected ecosystem secure? Do the execs in the pharmaceutical industry understand the risks inherent in all this data moving around their organizations? I mean, unless you're living in a cave, most executives, most industries understand the risk, okay? The thing is, do they understand the details? They may understand the broad headline-grabbing implications of what is at risk, but do the people at the top really take responsibility for it? Because for such a long time, cybersecurity wasn't a board-level discussion. Because it's thought of as an IT problem, a tech problem. It's not thought of as a business-level problem. So it's like, oh, the techie guys are going to handle it, IT. But this is a business decision. This is your business. When your business gets attacked, it's not IT that gets attacked. With discussions of cybersecurity moving to the C-suite, the complexity, the detail of the conversation requires a lot of education for the board of directors. And there's a lot to learn. Are you really going to expect the CMO, the CFO, to be as fluent in the technical aspects of security as the CTO or the CISO? No but they do have to understand the implications of a security issue to their specific area of the business and the broader business consequences too. 
So, from a cybersecurity perspective, you're looking to persuade the board of the implications of all that data and the risks that they may be exposed to. The challenge, the opportunity, is being able to speak, you know, the language of the people that, you know, you need on side. Simon again. And that language is the language of business, profit, loss, risk, and return. Your allies, your collaborators, your co-leaders, being able to really work closely with them in partnership uh, to, to make it happen. So, you know, there is a lot of diplomacy in, involved, I suppose. Once those relationships are established and the understanding of those risks is felt from CFO to CMO to the CEO, it needs to be communicated to the rest of the organization. And education of all those within the business needs to begin. But whose responsibility is that? At the top. At the top. So security culture has many aspects, okay? Well, first, it has to come from the top, okay? It has to come from the top and filter down to the different, you know, departments and levels, and that each assumes its own responsibility. And the reason it has to come from the top, because education is such a big part of security, right? And education can only come from the top. Information, communication, and education are okay, but to maintain cybersecurity, you need something else. Partnering with the business changes the culture. I think ultimately, at the end of the day, if you're going to have a strong security culture, you've got to have an organization that's really going to embrace all of the risk, right? And they're going to, you know, be a champion for the organization from a security perspective. Education, you know, at least in the former side, it was always supported on education. That part of the culture was always embraced, um, especially, you know, when you have a lot of smart people that just want to suck up that education and that knowledge. Um, it, it was a, that was a, a good feeling, a good, uh, you know, to be part of that. As we've been on this journey through the influence and impact of connected medicine, we've learned a lot. Security isn't a cost, it's an investment. If I don't invest in security or if I don't invest in the right security, two things are going to happen. When I get attacked, that attack is going to have a cost. There's the cost of that attack, okay? Which most people understand that, right? They understand the loss. They understand security in terms of loss, of cost. But security can also be looked at what is the value that it can bring to a business? Because when you invest in security, the value that it can bring is that it's sort of the secondary benefits of you've avoided that attack or you've, you know, you've protected that technology, you've protected that data. Here's another takeaway. If security in the connected ecosystem is designed in to be part of the end-to-end -end implementation of digital transformation, it will always be more economical. If security is reactive and an afterthought, it's expensive. And, and, and also you'll have events that are even more expensive. If you partner and you work with the business and you have a strategic direction, security and compliance is just part of the process. And one last takeaway, security doesn't have to be a blocker. It can actually be an enabler. At the same time of doing a security implementation, always looking at, you know, maybe first and foremost, how can I improve that user experience? Because if you can bring something to the C-suite that improves the efficiency of employees at the same time getting something for you from a visibility or protection perspective, that's that's really powerful because you're not just bringing risk mitigation, right? You're bringing a solution that can improve that experience. 
perhaps connected medicine will change how everyone looks at the pharmaceutical industry. I think the biggest impact of connected medicine for pharma is going to be that it's actually going to change the way society is going to eventually view the industry because today they're just viewed as what drug manufacturers but as they get closer to patients as they personalize treatments as they start going into niche markets and personalized medicine or or finding therapies for orphan um, type of diseases they're going to be looked at more as a holistic i would say healthcare provider rather than just a drug manufacturers In future episodes, we'll find out how security can enable the whole pharmaceutical value chain and why security has become so important to the boards of pharma companies, not just to IT. My name is Joe Robertson, and this podcast has been brought to you by Fortinet.